Let's go ahead and get back into our series. We started last Lord's Day. We uh, starting a series uh, from the Catechism, and uh, so I referenced question 105, which is where we're going to begin. We haven't actually started there quite yet, but question 105 asks, "What is prayer?" But then when you look at the answer which are all the things which we're supposed to be doing or which should, be describe, which should describe our praying, then we can see that the question is really asking, what is acceptable prayer? Rather than beginning with that, what I wanted to do is I wanted to make a point very clear to you that we can ask what is acceptable prayer, and that's a, and, and that's a good way to put it, because there is such a thing as unacceptable prayer. Right? There are two kinds of praying, two main kinds of praying. There's prayer that's acceptable, and that's what our catechism is going to help us to understand. But I've wanted to begin by uh, laying out this truth that there is such a thing as prayer that God will not accept. And so let me remind you, uh, let me take you back to Isaiah 1, which is where we started last Lord's Day. And this is an Old Testament example. And I'm going to add a couple of New Testament examples today of of prayers that God will not uh, accept. But from Isaiah 1, beginning at verse 11, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. And that's, and so when I'm saying that things are disgusting to God, he's saying that these things are disgusting to me. We, we get it from that word there. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot, in, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. And then verse 15, in particular with reference to prayer, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Is there such a thing as a prayer that God will not hear? We have here the Lord clearly stating that. Now, then I gave you a couple of quotations. The first one, actually, we gave kind of a lengthy quotation from Matthew Henry, but let me just take you to the kernel of that as he is, he's bringing his evaluation on Isaiah 1. And so Matthew Henry is looking at that, and he says, he says it's not that God disowns his institutions or refuses to stand by his own warrants. So Matthew Henry is saying, What's happening in Isaiah 1 is not that God is um, disowning his old covenant institutions because of the, the sacrificial... God is not disowning that when he says, quit doing that. He's not disowning what he has commanded them to do or what he has given warrant for them to do. Matthew Henry says it's not that at all. He says, but in what they did... They had not an eye to him that required it. So they're worshiping, they're going through the motions of a worship service, but not with an eye to God. They are praying, because God says, you make many prayers. It's not that they weren't praying, it's that they are praying, many prayers, but God says he won't hear it. So they're not, to use Mr. Henry's words, they're praying, but they're not praying with an eye to God. All right. Then he says, it, referring to the worship or the prayer, it did not recommend them to God's favor. He delighted not in the blood of their sacrifices, for he did not look upon himself as honored by it. So there's such a thing as a worship service, which is actually dishonoring to God. Why would we expect him to accept it? If it's dishonoring, we, of course he's not going to accept that. And there are prayers that are made to God, and God looks, he looks upon it as being dishonored by the prayer. 
And so we ought not to be surprised by what the Lord is saying through the prophet. That he's, and he's using language, uh, he's using human language, uh, describing himself as if he were a man when he says things like, I'm fed up. I'm tired of it. I can't, I can't bear with it anymore. All right? So God, in very strong language that we can, that we can identify with, is saying he refuses it. He will not uh, receive this to himself. He will not hear these prayers because he's being dishonored by it. So Matthew Henry describes it as praying, but not with an eye to God. And so then I took you to uh, the Puritan Thomas Brooks, and he, he provides a little bit more light when he says, quote, He is either a fool or a madman, either very weak or very wicked, that prays and prays but never looks after his prayers. That is, he prays and prays, but he's not paying attention to what he's doing. Uh, that shoots many an arrow toward heaven, but never minds where his arrows alight. And then Mr. Brooks quotes from Psalm 85, 8, where David says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. And then Mr. Brooks says, If David would have God to hearken to his prayers, he must then hearken to what God will speak. All right, so... What does it mean for us to pray with an eye to God? Otherwise, God's not going to hear it. Well, I think Mr. Brooks is helpful. To, to pray with an eye to God means that we have first opened our ears to God. If we're going to hearken, if, we're, if we would have God hearken to our prayers, we need to first hearken to what God has said. That's what it means to pray with an eye to Him. To pray not with an eye to God... To pray in a way which would be dishonoring to him would be to pray without ourselves hearkening to what God has said. All right? So, our, our offerings in worship and prayer need to be made with an eye to the one we come before, which is, which is to say that our offerings of worship and prayer must be made with submission to what God has spoken. We have open ears before we have open mouths. When we pray, um, I think all I'm saying is that our worship and praying must be submissive worship. It must be submissive praying, where our worship and praying is in submission to what God has spoken. Okay, so, so then we could say, well, of course, that's the only way that God's going to look upon Himself as honored by our worship, if if our worship is, is in submission to His Word. Of course, that's the only way that God's going to look upon himself as honored in our praying to him is if our praying is in submission to his word. If we're coming before him in a way that we're not submitting ourselves to his word, why would God be pleased by that? If we're coming before him in a way that really shows that we hate him and we're not going to submit to him, why would God... God is not going to uh, see himself as honored by that. He's not going to accept that. He will, refu- he will refuse that offering because it's not honoring to him. Um, I mean, really, how could it be any other way? God is good. God is just. God is righteous. God is holy. It, it, it can't be any other way but that he would, that, except that he will be receiving worship and prayers to himself those offerings that are in submission to him, with an eye to him, that is, with a hearkening to what he has said about our worship or what he has said about our praying. All right, and then from that, I, I added two things as we're building upon what uh, Matthew Henry, how, how he evaluates it and then how Thomas Brooks evaluates it. I, I, I then said... That we, we, then, we then add two main things in terms of how we are hearkening to what God has said. And, that, and those two main things are, or to put it this way, if we would have God hearken to our prayers, we must hearken to what God has spoken about, number one, himself. And we must, if we would have God hearken to our prayers, we must hearken to what God has said about us. Okay? We're hearkening to what God has said. If we would have him to hearken unto our prayers, 
what God has said about what? Well, what God has said about himself and what God has said about us. We need to be in submission to his word with regards to both, right? And it's not one or the other. It has to be both. Okay? That's what it means to have an eye to him. This is what it means to hearken unto God. We're hearkening to what he has revealed about himself and um, about us. So then I asked, so then here's what we're going to do. We're going to take that little paradigm or that little tool. What has God said about himself? What has God said about us? And we're going to examine prayer in light of that so that we can know if it's acceptable or if it's not acceptable. That is to say, so that we know, is this praying honoring to God or is this prayer dishonoring to God? All right, so when we look at Isaiah 1, I I posed that question to you uh, last week. In what way were they praying but not submitting to what God has revealed about himself? And... Someone in the back, it was, I think maybe it was Mr. Guffey, immediately said they're not, they were not hearkening unto what God has said about himself in terms of what? Anybody remember? His holiness. God has revealed that he is holy. And they were coming before him in a way that treated him as if he were ordinary. God is not honored by that. Will we come before him like we would come before each other? God is not honored by that. Uh, would we, would, is God going to receive this? Is he going to be well pleased if we come before him in a way so that we treat him as common? If we treat him as wicked? God is not going to be pleased by this. In fact, God says he's disgusted by this. He's good. He's righteous. He's holy. Were they praying to him in a way that it they were submitting themselves to what God says about himself. No, and, and in many ways. <clears throat> All right? In fact, there in that context, near at the, near, nearer to the beginning of Isaiah 1, it says, Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger to anger. Who? The Holy One of Israel. There he is revealing himself. This is what they're not submitting to. But I could ask you then the second question. We're using our little tool. They were not submitting themselves to what God said about them. Well, look what I just read. Listen, listen again. Alas, sinful nation. What has God revealed about us? Or to them? A people laden with iniquity. What is God revealing about them? Brood of evildoers, he says. Children who are corruptors, forsakers of the Lord. If in their praying they had an eye to God, they would have been praying regarding him as holy, and they would have been praying, or what would have been in their prayers? If we could have eavesdropped in and listened to them praying, if their prayers were in submission to what God had revealed about them, what would we have heard in their praying? Humility? Fear? How about confession? If God has revealed to us that we are sinners, then what ought to be in our praying? If we pray, and there's no confession of our sins, we're not praying with an eye to him, are we? We would have God hearken hearken unto our prayers. Are we going to come before him with no confession of our sin? With no humility, with no humble acknowledgement? That we are transgressors? That we've broken his law? That is unacceptable praying. It's not praying with an eye to him. Right? I took you to questions 50, 51, and 52 that have to do with the first commandment. One of the, one of the major points there is that our worship of God must be according to who God is. And I think that's the main point that I'm making with you now. Our worship, our praying to God needs to be in accordance with who God is. And then from there you can go back to question 7, which asks, what is God? All right, so... 
that we have this list of God is holy and he's just, he's merciful. Um, and so we have to carry that with us when we begin to ask the question, what is prayer? Our praying needs to be in accordance to who God is, right? It needs to be in accordance with what God has said about himself, but also it needs to be in accordance with what God has said about us. And so we can see this here in Isaiah 1. God's very clearly laid out. He sent the prophets to them, um, telling them who they were. And this is not being reflected in their worship. This is not being reflected in their praying to him. Right? And then Matthew Henry said, They pray, but God will not hear because they regard iniquity. And I spent a little bit of time last week talking about what does it mean to regard iniquity. Uh, and that means to look upon it with love to look upon it with approval, to look upon it with no intention at all of repenting. That's what it means to regard your iniquity. Um, and, that's, and this is what's happening with the people in Isaiah 1. All right, so we, so we have to ask, what does God say about us? God says we are sinners. He goes on to say there in Isaiah 1, this is beginning at verse 19, he says, if you are willing and obedient... You shall eat the land, the good of the land, but you refuse and rebel. You shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. All right. They're praying. Had it been with an eye to God, they would have come before, the God, before their Lord and they would have confessed that. They would have said, yes, you're right, Lord. You're right. Have mercy upon us. We have become murderers. We have become a city of injustice. Lord, have mercy upon us. We are sinners. That, that would have been a prayer that was honoring to the Lord. Okay? So if you're praying with an eye to God, that is to say with your heart open to hear what he says about himself and what he says about you, then there will be this confession of your this will be this confession of your sin. There will be requests for forgiveness, dependence upon his mercy. There will not be this turning of your face towards your sin with love and approval, but it'll be a, there will be in your praying the turning of your face away from your sin with hatred and disgust. Okay, therefore to pray while looking at their sins... With love and approval, that is to say, with no heart at all for repentance. What's missing in that kind of prayer? Well, we could also say expressions of repentance are missing. Here's how our confession summarizes repentance. This is, this is chapter 15, paragraph 3. It says, This saving repentance is an evangelical grace, whereby a person being by the Holy Spirit made sensible... Of the manifold evils of his sin, doth by faith in Christ, right? We're not trusting that there's some kind of merit in our repentance, like I'm going to repent well enough and then God will accept me. No, no. Nothing of that. It is by faith in Christ that we, or that he then humble himself for it with godly sorrow, detestation of it, and self-abhorrency, praying for pardon and strength of grace. Is that it? No. It goes on to say, with, this is praying for pardon, but also praying with a purpose and endeavor by supplies of the Spirit to walk before God and to all well-pleasing in all things. So there's a praying, where there's a confession of sin, there's a praying where that includes these praying sincerely from a heart that has these elements of true repentance, but it's also praying with this endeavoring in the heart to get up off your knees and to obey. And to obey. That, this, is, this is repentance. That kind of praying is acceptable praying. Because aren't you praying with an eye to who God is, to what God has revealed on Himself? Yes, and you're praying to God, or with your ear open to what He has revealed about you. Right. 
How about this prayer from Psalm 119? Is this acceptable or unacceptable? When the psalmist prays, saying, Therefore, I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. Don't you hear both? That's an acceptable prayer. He's praying with an eye to God. He would have God to hearken to his prayer, and we see he has hearkened his ears unto what God has revealed about himself. His word, his commandments are right. But he's also hearkened, or he has hearkened unto God regarding what God has said about him. You hear this hatred of the false way. You hear this expression of true repentance. Right? Repentance. This was referenced, this alluded to in the sermon this morning, 2 Corinthians 7. Another example of repentance. We're, t- we're talking about hearkening to, God, hearkening to God, what he has said about us and how this is reflected. Uh, Paul says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner. What? That's what he just said. You were made sorry in a godly manner. Now, I want you to hold those two terms together. File them away for just a few minutes because we're going to come back to this. Notice the connection that Paul makes between sorrow, repenting sorrow, and godliness. All right, hold on to that. Paul goes on to say that you might suffer loss from us in nothing, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. And we would ask Paul, well, how do you know that? And Paul would say, what diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation What fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Makes makes you think of Luke chapter 18, don't you? Or uh, 19. With uh, the wee little man in the sycamore tree. What zeal. What determination. How do we know? How do we know that salvation came, came to the house that day? Because we see this godly sorrow. We see godly sorrow came to the house. All right, so this, we're, we're getting at this. This has to be a part of our praying because we're submitting ourselves to what God has said about, to what God has said about us. So it should be of no surprise that uh, for God to not accept their sacrifices in worship or their prayers because... Their manner of offering is done in a way which reveals that they have rejected his word. We're thinking of Isaiah 1. Right? So it's, it's as if they're saying this. We will make sacrifices, and we will pray, and we will certainly ask for the things that we want, but we're not going to submit to you. Yes, we will come before you, and we will... Uh, check off all the boxes regarding these old covenant institutions, and we will pray many prayers to you, and we will tell you all the things that we want, but we're not going to repent. We would have you to hearken to us, but we're not going to listen to you. God says, this whole approach is an abomination. He is not, he is not going to receive this. He is not going to hear their prayers. All right, let me give you two New Testament examples if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. These are very familiar to you, so I I think we can go pretty quickly through them. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. Here's our first example. Matthew 6, verse 5, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. All right? Hypocritical prayer 
will not be accepted, says the Lord. Don't do it, he says. Do not pray like this. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Let's define what a hypocrite is. We need to be very careful about it, because I know you've heard the complaint Someone says, well, I don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. You've heard that, right? And I think this complaint comes from a misunderstanding of what is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is not, right, N-O-T, capital N-O-T. Hypocrisy is not believing in the Lord but still struggling with sin. That's not hypocrisy. But I think that's what's in the minds of some people, right? They go to church, all these people say they believe in God, and they're all still struggling with sin, bunch of hypocrites. No, that's not hypocrisy necessarily. Okay? A hypocrite is the pretender. All right? A hypocrite is a mask wearer. A hypocrite is just an actor. They wear the mask of being a believer, but if you get behind the mask, the face... They're not even. A, they're not. They're not a believer. They're pretending to be a believer. They're not a believer who's struggling with their sins. They're an unbeliever pretending to be a believer. This is the hypocrite. They would put this act on that they love the Lord, or that they're honoring the Lord. But if you pull that mask off. Um, their face is turned to their sin with no heart at all for repentance. No heart at all for any faith. This is, this is the hypocrite. If you go back, go look back at the beginning of the chapter. Notice what Jesus says there at verse 1. He says, Take heed that you, do not, that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Okay, so there Jesus says there are pretenders. And how are they pretending? They're pretending to be giving. But how do we know they're pretending to be giving? Take a look there. Anybody want to offer an answer? How do we know? It's just a mask of generosity. For what reason? What's that? Right, but, but what do they want? They want praise. Oh, that's why they're pretending. They're actually not generous, are they? What are they? They're greedy. They're greedy. They have a, this mask of generosity, but you pull the mask off. Oh, it's ugly, isn't it? We see why they're doing what they're doing, blowing the trumpets and making sure that everybody knows how generous they are. That's actually not generosity at all. That's hypocrisy. That's pretend generosity, which isn't generous at all. It's, it's greediness. So there we see they're pretend givers. But, then right, but here we're, we're considering pretend prayers. Right? Pretend praying. Jesus is saying, when you pray, don't be a pretend prayer. Don't make pretend prayers. So let's ask, what is hypocritical or pretend praying? Well, it's praying to be seen or heard by other men. It's praying where the only audience in mind is other people. Jesus then, perhaps, uh, perhaps surprisingly, says that these pretenders actually get their reward. Now, is that good news or bad news, that the pretend prayers actually get their reward? Is that good news or bad news? That's bad. And why is it bad news? Because it's all they get. And what is it that's all they get? What is it they get? 
they get man's approval. Uh, that's why they're praying. Pretend praying. This mask, you look at the mask, it would maybe at first look like they're praying for the Lord's approval. But they're pretenders. They're not praying for the Lord's approval. That's, that's not at all their interest whether or not the Lord approves. God's favor, that's not in their minds at all. Humility, seeking the Lord's mercy, the Lord's favor, the Lord's approval, the Lord's praise, thinking about that properly. No, not at all. You pull the mask off, they're only interested in the praise of other men. Jesus says, they get that. But that's, that's really bad news, isn't it? If that's the only inheritance that you get. If that's it, that's the only reward you get, how long is that going to go for? You know how fickle men are. How far is that going to carry you? What is that going to do for you on the last day? You're going to stand before the Lord and say, well, hold on, hold on a second, because I'm going to go find all my friends who like me. I want to find all the people who thought well of me as I was pretending to pray to you. (laughs) Do they expect to find a reward from that? Pretend praying. There's pretend givers because they're pretending to give, but they're actually greedy. So here we have pretend prayers. It would look like they're praying to God, but they're only really praying to the people around them. They're not interested in seeking God's favor, which would be praying with an eye to God and with regards to what he has said about himself. Because whose favor do you really desire? Whose favor would really, do you really want? And they're certainly not praying with an eye to what God has said about them. Because I would suspect that as you're standing in the synagogue and you're standing on the street corner, you're probably not confessing your sins if you want men to think well of you. Probably none of that. Probably no expressions of repentance. Probably a lot of uh, like, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Probably a lot of that. Oh God, I thank you that uh, I'm so generous. I tithe from my mint garden. Probably a lot of that so that men think well. Pretenders. So this is, this is really bad. This is very evil. All right? What approval, what favor, what acceptance are they seeking? They pray with an eye only to their prayer being accepted by other men. And so again, that's the, that's the reward they get, and that's the only reward they get. And that's a huge problem because they're not getting any approval from God on this. Now notice, what, just as a side note, what Jesus says there about praying in secret, it's not a, pro, it's not a prohibition about praying in public. We have uh, lots of examples of praying in the Scripture where God is, that God is well pleased with, in fact, in prayers that God commands that are made in a public or a congregational setting. God, Jesus isn't prohibiting uh, public praying. Um, one commentator says the point is not to make yourself conspicuous. This commentator says the main emphasis is not on the place of prayer, but on the attitude of the mind and the heart. It's not the secrecy is the underlying thought, but the sincerity. Now let me put it to you in this way, and I think the context of Matthew 6 justifies me saying it this way. Pray from a heart that is sincerely seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I think that's what we, we could say. That's... That's how we ought to pray. Instead of pretend praying, seeking first the approval of men, seeking first their favorite, no. Seek first, pray in a way sincerely from a heart that is seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Don't don't pray as a pretender, pretending to pray, pretending to seek the Lord's face, pretending to seek the Lord's approval or the Lord's reward when only really having your heart set on whatever approval other people would give you. That, Jesus says, is unacceptable prayer. Okay, let's apply our little paradigm, our little tool. What is it about what God has said about himself that the the pretend prayer is not submitting to? Any suggestions? What is this hypocritical prayer not submitting to in terms of what God says about himself. We could probably come up with a long list, right? 
How about this for starters? They're praying as if God can't see their hearts or motives. Do you think God's going to be pleased? Is God honored by that? What has God said about himself with regards to our motives? Oh, we could say, we, God has said a lot, hasn't he? Let me give you some examples here. Romans 2.16, Paul speaks about the day in which God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Does God know what's going on in your heart? 1 Corinthians 4.5, Paul says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will, bring, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. 1 Peter 1.17, If you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Very powerful example, of course, from Revelation 20, verse 12. John says that he saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And when you hear that phrase, books were opened, God's revealing something about himself. That's a statement of something with the nature and the being of God when John says that he saw that books were opened. Oh, we could say that about the pretend prayers. They're praying as if God can't see their hearts or as if God can't see their motives. Jesus says, don't do that. What is it that God has said about us that the pretender is not submitting to? Hypocritical prayer. He's not submitting to what God has said about him. In what way? Any suggestions? What has God said about us regarding our greatest need? What is our greatest need? Is it me liking you? Is it me thinking well of you? Is that your greatest need that needs to be met? My favor? My mercy? Is that your greatest need? Now, I need to be merciful to you, yes? Your greatest need is favor from the Lord, right? Does the hypocritical prayer pray as if that's true for him? No, he's disregarded this. As if he's completely fine without any favor from God, just so long as he gets favor from you. Just so long as you're thinking well of him, everything's fine. Jesus says, don't pray like that. That's not praying with an eye to, to God, is it? The hypocritical prayer, would, he would have God hearken to his prayers, but he's not hearkening to what God has said about him, about his condition. All right? Look at the second example here. It's in verse, starting at verse 7. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Now, I don't know about you, this is a very striking example. It's like it just jumps off of the pages at you. It's a striking example because Jesus references a pagan method of praying. But Jesus isn't talking to pagans, He's talking to professing believers. To me, that's alarming. To me, this ought to be very sobering. That Jesus knows that he has to tell professing believers not to be like the pagans when they pray. Um, it's, it's, It's alarming to me that the Lord knows that he has to correct us in this way. So here's the idea. This um, praying using vain repetitions. The idea is that the God who is being prayed to is more likely to hear and he's more likely to answer positively if we just repeat ourselves enough. Repetition, saying the same things over and over again, that that will be the means by which God will decide to grant what we're asking for. I think included in this is also the idea of the, of the length of prayer 
that length, if we make our prayers long enough, which I think would be a, a consequence of unnecessary repetition, if we make them long enough, oh, that's the key, right? That's the prayer hack. If we pray long enough, repeating ourselves enough, that's the key to getting God to answer. Now, let me give you, let me give you a little trivia question here. Can you think of what may be the classic Old Testament example of this kind of pagan praying? Vain repetitions, making very, very long prayers. Anybody? The prophets of Baal, thank you. You were, gonna, you were, you were about to say that at the back, weren't you? Yeah, of course you were. Yes. It's the, it's the first thing that comes to mind, doesn't it? Right? Yeah, okay, so Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many. Call the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it, and called in the name of Baal from morning till noon. That's a... Oh, that's a long prayer, isn't it? Morning till noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. Now, I, I just I love the text. It's almost, or maybe it is sarcastic. It's sarcastic. I love how the text then says, But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. Okay, so now we're going to start dancing. We're praying long. There's lots of repetition in that. And now they're going to dance around. They're going to leap around the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they, so they cried aloud and cut themselves. Okay, so now it's by the shedding of their own blood. Oh, that's the key to get, getting their God to hear them, right? We'll shed our own blood. They cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. I think that's an example of vain repetition. Can you think of any other examples, maybe in the uh, among professing Christians? Examples. Vain repetition. How about prayer beads? Prayer beads. Why would anybody want to keep count? Well, so that you can actually keep track of how many times you're repeating yourself over and over and over again. Prayer beads. You can think of the rosary. Prayer beads are used in Islam. They're used in Hinduism, Buddhism, others. I like watching documentaries about Everest expeditions. And sometimes they'll show these, uh, these explorers in one of those Tibetan towns or cities and... I guess it's set up outside one of these Buddhist temples. There are these prayer cylinders, and they're on these rods, vertical rods, and you can walk along and spin these prayer cylinders, and there's prayers written on them. And with each rotation of the cylinder, the prayer goes to their God. That's a lot of repetition. In fact, you don't even have to have your mind engaged. You just walk along and spin them. And if you've seen pictures of Mount Everest Base Camp, you see all the tents, of course, but then you see these long cords, like a pole. It's been placed in the rock, and there's this long cord, and it has all these flags on it. But those flags aren't for decoration. Those are prayer flags, so that the idea is with each whip of the flag in the wind, and the wind is constantly whipping those flags, with each whip of the flag, whatever prayer is on that ascends or descends or whoever they're praying to. That's a lot of repetition. This is pagan praying. They think they will be heard for their many words. Jesus says, don't pray like this. I think we have another example in Luke 20. Jesus says, beware of the scribes 
who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and, he says, for a pretense, make long prayers. He says, these will receive greater condemnation. Don't pray like that. Their prayers are lengthy, but what's their motive? Jesus says it's for a pretense. That means they're praying with false motives. Their unnecessarily long prayers reveal their false motives. And what's their motive? Well, it's, I think it's similar to what we see in, in uh, Matthew 6. They're, trying to, they're, they're making long prayers so that people place their confidence in them. So the mentality here is they think that they will be heard for their many words, vain repetitions, that vain repetitions will make an offering of prayer acceptable. But we've been in the book of Leviticus lately. What's necessary for the incense offering to be made acceptable or to be, for it to be made acceptably? All right, the special recipe of incense, it was a holy recipe. This, this incense was applied to hot coals. Where did those hot coals come from? They come from just any old fire, right? Yes or no? Just build any old fire, get those coals, and no, those coals came from the altar of burnt offering. And that's the only place those coals came from. So, for this, this ceremony of prayer, the incense offering where the smoke would rise, in an acceptable manner to the Lord, what was necessary for that smoke to rise? Sacrifice. Substitutionary atonement. That is what was necessary. The offering of the Lamb. It's the Lamb of God who makes our prayers acceptable. It's not vain repetitions. It's not because we pray long prayers. All right? Not heeding the truth about the nature and being of the true God. This kind of praying sees the God being prayed to as what kind of God? Vain repetitions, excessively long or unnecessarily long. What is it about that God has revealed about himself that this is not heeding? It treats God as how? And I'll give Elijah pointed it out, by the way, right? Vain repetitions... Treat God as if he's inattentive. Is that honoring to God to think of him in that way? I will neither confirm nor deny that this has ever happened in my house where my wife has been talking to me. She has been talking to me. And then I realize that she's been talking to me. Because my... My mind has been off on some faraway planet. And like she's at the conclusion of something very important, and then I'm kind of tuning back in, and the remedy is what? She, she has to repeat herself because I was inattentive. I was somewhere else. Honoring, yes or no, to the Lord, to pray to him in a way that regards him as inattentive. Like, he didn't catch it the first time around. This, Jesus says, don't pray like that. That's not praying with an eye to who God is. Don't be like them, he says. For your Father knows the things you you have need of before you ask him. What? What's revealed about the Father in that statement? Your Father knows. Right? He has revealed himself as omniscient. We ought to pray with confidence in that. But what does the Father know? He knows the things you have need of. Isn't that wonderful? This, uh, if I could use the word application, we see God making this application of his omniscience to what you need. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that kind? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that generous? Vain repetitions are unnecessary. They're dishonoring to the Lord. As if he's not generous, as if he's not kind, as if he doesn't know the first time he heard you pray 
as if he doesn't know before you even begin to pray. Repetition is not necessary to inform God or to make it more likely that he will grant your requests. Isn't that mentality, isn't that thinking that God is wicked, that he's not good? That he's not merciful, that he's not generous, that he has to be pestered to be provoked to grant you your request. That's regarding God as if he's wicked. That's regarding God as if he's slumbering, as if he's slow to hear you, reluctant to be good with his people, reluctant to be generous with his people. This is very dishonoring to him. Okay. Well, we had, uh, we had an Old Testament example. Actually, we had two Old Testament examples of unacceptable praying and a couple of New Testament examples of unacceptable praying. Let me leave you with this. Uh, our time is up. What is it, again, that makes our prayers acceptable? As we bring our new covenant incense offering... What is it that makes our prayers acceptable? We come with what confidence? Well, that blood has been spilled for me. Am I going to pray in a way where my confidence is going to be because I'm going to spill my own blood enough? No. That would be dishonoring to the Lord. No, the lamb, the lamb has been offered. The lamb has been handed over. So I come before the Lord, and I pray, to, I pray with an eye to him. And what, what has God revealed about himself? He has revealed in the gospel that he has sent his only begotten son. And I must pray with, with acknowledgement of that and with my trust in that. And he has revealed that wrath has been taken. And he has revealed the imputation of righteousness. So I Pray with an eye to that. But he's also spoken and revealed things about me. He's, he has told me in his word that I'm a sinner. He has told me that I need cleansing. And so I must include that as well. Um, okay. So I'm going to leave you that encouragement. All right. So we've, that's the first main point we've covered. Unacceptable praying. And I want you to take that tool and I... You can hold on to this little paradigm because moving forward, we're going to carry this with us as we, next week, Lord willing, we'll begin to think about acceptable praying. And we're going to carry this tool with us, praying with an eye to God and praying in such a way that we are acknowledging what God has revealed about himself and praying in such a way that we are, are acknowledging what God has said about us.